What's the antidote to living in a world of chronic complaint and crankiness and a feeling that things just aren't the way they ought to be? Diana Butler Bass has written a book on gratitude called Grateful. That's the direction she points us. She'll be with us on Good God. Stay tuned. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm George Mason, your host, and I'm pleased to welcome to the program today, Diana Butler Bass. Dr. Bass, thank you for being with us today. It's great to be with you, George. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Bass is the author of this new book, Grateful, The Transformative Power of Giving Thanks. She is a historian of American religion, uh, really an expert on uh, Christian Christianity in America, uh, and is, uh, is somewhat on the tail end of a book tour, I would say, uh, for this book. Uh, and she was here in Dallas, in fact, uh, last night for a big public event sponsored by Faith Commons, our parent organization of Good God. Uh, Diana, this book uh, is a little outside the realm of your usual lane, you might say, the, the, the way you go about writing books and thinking about your subject matter. How did this book come to pass for you? I, I wanted to write about gratitude it's, because it started about three years ago with some personal questions mm -hmm. about how it was in my late 50s. I didn't feel as grateful mm -hmm. as what I probably thought I should be. And um, a couple of friends of mine had passed away, uh, much older mentors, and they were very grateful people. And, mm -hmm. and I sort of looked at this, uh, this shortfall mm -hmm. in, in my own life and I began to have a desire personally to want to explore this particular spiritual practice, which I felt I was lacking. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting that you say, I, I felt like I ought to be more grateful. When you, hear, when you hear oughts and shoulds and imperatives and needs and those sorts of things, we don't think about gratitude in that way. We, we, we think about it as emotions that are either there or not there, and we simply accept that they are or aren't, and one is grateful or one isn't. It's just a matter of the circumstances of life. But that's not really what you say in this book. You talk in this book about how gratitude can be a learned uh, emotion, a practice mm -hmm. that transforms us and changes us. And so was that a new insight to you when you began to work on this book? It really was. There were so many surprises mm -hmm. in this project along the way. And um, the first thing that I ran into was the fact that I didn't understand what gratitude is. Mm -hmm. When you talk about how the language of should and ought and requirement isn't the way we usually think about gratitude. It, it is actually a way we often think about gratitude in a negative sense. Ah, uh, right, okay. And I think a lot yeah. of us don't want to admit uh. that we have a kind of a language or guilt yes. about gratitude. So I had that. Mm -hmm. I had this like, why can't I be more this way? You know, I should be, or my mom would be so disappointed. And so there was, there was all of that in my understanding of gratitude. And then there was the, the other stuff as well. The gratitude as, you know, an unexpected emotion. It sort of just shows up when right. a person gives you a gift. And 
in those ways I'd experienced gratitude and I knew that that was good, uh, but you know, it was not something you could necessarily plan for. It was random and contingent yes. on what other people did for me. Right. And so in both of those cases, either obligation or just kind of an emotion that shows up when something happens in your life, I had never really thought about it as something that one could explore deeply and work on and become a more grateful person. So I, I really wish this was a, a, a part of your book I didn't have to grapple with because I, I think, well, first of all, you're, you're talking about how you, know, you, sh you, you realize that you wanted to be a more grateful person. I mostly want other people to be more grateful to me. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and actually, the more I've had to wrestle with what you've said this week and the places we've been and in reading the book, the more I realize how caught up I still am in this pyramid, so to speak, this sort of hierarchy of, of duty and obligation where I feel like if I give something to someone and I serve, uh, whether it's a congregation or my family or whatever the case may be, I'd like to see a little sign of gratitude from time to time. I'd like to see them recognize it and, you know, just acknowledge the, you know, what I've done and all of that sort of thing. And that really changes the calculus, doesn't it? When you're operating like that, you're not really giving a gift. You're, you're giving a debt. And uh, that's, that's also something that really uh, challenged me and I think was an insight that, that came to you in, in reading this, in, in writing this book. Yeah, I, I had a similar kind of professional experience. Yes. Um, and it was probably early on in the project that I realized as a writer, right. I didn't feel like people had appreciated uh -huh. my work enough. Right. And for writers, that shows up in things like book sales, or did you get a yes. review in the New York uh, Times? Right. or you know, So it's different depending upon what profession you're in. But I think a lot of people who are you know, successful in the world and who, mm -hmm. who do these kinds of jobs, where we feel like we're pouring out our hearts and right. really working toward you know, doing good in the world. And, right. and that's what I feel like as a writer. My, yes. my work as a writer is to inspire people to live better lives. And so it's not that different than a pastor. Well, and as a pastor, let me just, you know, jump on the bandwagon with you. I mean, I, I do with our young ministers, our pastoral residents, I say to them uh, what I've never fully been able to embrace and learn myself, but what I know intellectually is true. And that is, you think that over the course of a lifetime of being there when people are sick and, and, and holding their hand when people die and mm -hmm. doing funerals and being at the big moments of people's lives, you, you suspect in the back of your mind that you're, you're banking these uh, things, mm -hmm. you know, that you're, you're creating uh, sort of emotional bonus points in your relationships with people in their congregations. And then you find that you uh, come up against a church disagreement and they leave the church. And you think, what about our relationship? Or, you know, what about all these things we shared? And you, you realize, oh my goodness, we, maybe I should have just thought of those as a gift and not as a, a debt that I was, I was mm -hmm. accumulating that they needed to pay back because it's too painful uh, to operate that way. Yeah. But I, I, I think that 
if, if, if we could change that paradigm, if we could begin to think differently about it, more biblically, more spiritually in a healthy way, it, it might change the way all of our relationships operate. Yeah, and what you're talking about there is the idea of entitlement. Uh -huh. And we don't like to think about ourselves <laughs> as people who feel like we're entitled yes, to something. Yes. But but folks who do good work in uh -huh. the social arena, right. um, entitlement is what I would call kind of slippery, and yeah. we don't really mm -hmm. want to admit it. Right. Uh, but it is still there, and and I say, you know, I can tell you that I've felt that way too. You know, when people right. have a new book or something come out and uh, people say, oh, well, you know, I'm just not really into that topic. And right. it's like, right. well, wait a second. Right. You know, you've read all my other books. Why are all of a sudden I didn't meet your expectations? Well, yes. well this is a book I wanted to write, you know? Yes. You, you need to like it. You need to like it because of our relationship. Right. Because, it, right. because we, you know, I, I depend upon you to be my loyal follower. And yeah, right. right. And there's that entitlement, isn't it? And, yeah. I, and I had yeah. always thought, you know, I had this great relationship with my readers. Because yes. I'm, I'm very personable, very authentic. I'm very approachable, yes. you know, as a writer. And so then all of a sudden, and it's the same way you, you describe somebody maybe leaving a church. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, well, you know, I've read enough of your books, and so I'm right. going to go read somebody else's. Right, right. And then all of a sudden, you're standing there, and you're going, well, wait a second. Right. You know, I deserve this. Right, right. And that is not what gratitude's all about. I mean, entitlement is actually the opposite of gratitude. You know, I, I've known you long enough, not as well as many people, but we've been in places together and been through circumstances of life where I've known and heard your disappointments and read mm -hmm. them and uh, the, the struggles that, um, that, that you've had at times. And, and I want to say to you that uh, my experience with you this week tells me that you're right about this, that, um, that, that this has affected your life positively, that you, your, your way of looking at life, your understanding of yourself and, and, and your vocation has been changed by the practice of gratitude. And it's, a, it's actually a beautiful thing. Oh, well, I'm glad to hear that yeah. because uh, uh, I don't want to be too coy, you know, with people who are listening in. But a few years ago, we were in a circumstance professionally yes. together in which uh, uh, you were in a position of responsibility and decisions that uh, your colleagues made had a right. big impact on my husband's right. life. Exactly. Who was my editor, by the way, yeah. you know, of a book I wrote. Yes. And that, mm -hmm. um, you know, his job went away. Yes. As a result of the decisions. As the organization did. Yeah. yeah. It right. wasn't that he was fired. Yeah. The, right. the whole organization was mm -hmm. folded. And so his job went away. And, and we had quite quite some conversations yeah. um, around that time. And and that was one of the personal things that, that mm -hmm. was in the background of this. Being in my late 50s, my husband being in his late 50s, and running into really some walls sure. of what felt like failure and closure at a really hard time of life when mm -hmm. things aren't necessarily opening up, right. but people are approaching retirement. Right. And, and for us, it was like, what is the way through this? Exactly. And there were long, uh, painful conversations. 
But then we both really moved in this direction mm -hmm. where we needed to take stock and figure out what gifts we had and what gifts we had been given in the midst of very difficult circumstances. Right. Right. And, and that was, I think, really part of the pathway into this project. Mm -hmm. and, and I really have learned in the last couple years how dangerous the demand for gratitude or the demand of yeah. entitlement, right. give me these gifts or else I'm going to be angry at you, right. that that is not a way that you can live with any kind of happiness, peace, or joy. Yes. Um, that is a pathway of emotional and spiritual, um, really, destruction. Mm -hmm. And so in my family, we literally had to walk away from that path and say, what kind of people do we want to be now? Yeah, and and we, we all learned. Yes. I learned, my husband learned. Uh, we introduced our two children into mm -hmm. um, gratitude practices mm -hmm. and, um, I can't say that we're perfect, you know, or that everything is uh, wonderful. You know, right. it's not like a prosperity gospel where all of a sudden, if you practice gratitude, all your problems go away. Um, but what it did is it gave us a new framework of discussion mm -hmm. about our family's challenges, um, what the good things were that our family experienced, and how to be, relate, how to be related to one another during difficult times. Mm -hmm. And so it, it made things different. Right. And that has been something I tried to communicate um, in this book. Well, I, I think you did communicate it. And when we, when we come back from the break in just a moment, I wanna talk about practices of gratitude that uh, you outlined here and you referred to. Uh, and, and, and how it, it's not just about flipping a switch. It's more like uh, turning a dimmer switch, you might say. That yeah. is to say, it takes time and work that, to get there. But, uh, you know, sometimes in our Protestant tradition of Christianity, I think we, uh, we like to think that everything is a conversion point that happens in quickly, especially in evangelical Protestantism, right? It's going to just, we're going to make a, a decision and everything's going to change because we're going to be born again, transformed in an instant by the power of the Spirit. But we, I think, are all learning that the Spirit tends to work in slow, steady ways to change us. And that involves some, some of our participation, too. Mm -hmm. So when we come back, let's talk about practices of gratitude. Great. The Thanksgiving Foundation operates Thanksgiving Square. Good God salutes the Thanksgiving Foundation for advocating interfaith dialogue to promote understanding, harmony, and friendship in a community of diverse faith traditions and cultures. We're back with Diana Butler-Bass, author of Grateful, The Transformative Power of Giving Thanks. And Diana, before the break, we were talking about practices of gratitude and how they change us. You started keeping a gratitude journal. Uh, talk about what that means and how you might recommend it to people and why that's important. Yeah, I actually started keeping a gratitude journal a long time ago. Mm -hmm. It was before I ever imagined I was going to be writing a book um, about gratitude. And that was a case where in my very first ever job out of graduate school, I was working at a college in California and it was a terrible experience. I really didn't fit mm -hmm. in the overall ethos of the college. And so they didn't give me tenure. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's a really nice way of saying 
I got fired from right. my first job. Right. And so I remember this day that the college president called me in mm -hmm. to his office and he said to me, well, you know, we've, we've worked through all of this and you're a great teacher and we wish you well, but you just don't fit here. So we're going to have to let you go. And, and I remember going, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. what am I going to do? And as I was in that internal place, he said, I know you're very disappointed, but one day you're going to thank me for this. And, oh. and, and how patronizing does that sound, right? Oh, it was it, the it, worst. I mean, it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the epitome of privilege and patriarchy and yeah. all sorts of things. But yeah. yeah. And here I am, you know, it's like, a little bit more than 25 years later, right. and I still remember that moment. Right, right. And uh, I, I feel really bad now. The president ha who said that has since passed away. And what's interesting is I, I understand what he was trying to do now, mm -hmm. uh, but it still didn't take away the sting, you yeah, know, at the time. Yeah. So I, I talked to a friend of mine um, who was also a family therapist or some such thing. And uh, he, was, he was a person as well who was in a recovery movement. And we were just, you know, I was just telling him, you know, this is awful. You know, how could he mm -hmm. say this to me? And so my friend said, well, you know, he's probably right. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, one day you, you will look back on this and it will be a time of real change and you probably mm -hmm. will say thank you. I and I said, well, I don't get that at all. And right. so then my friend said, you know what you should probably try to do, if you can, uh, keep a journal of these days. And in that journal, he didn't call it a gratitude journal, but he suggested that I write down one thing every day that I felt grateful for. Mm. And I think he was encouraging me to, to begin to chart kind of a a cumulative picture of gratitude yes. of what good things were even in this really difficult time. And so I began doing that and I kept mm -hmm. that journal for a little bit more than three years. Mm -hmm. And that journal became an absolute lifeline for me. Right, right. And um, I look back on that those pages now. Um, it's one of the few written things that I have that I've saved. Yes. And anytime there's been like fear of a fire in my house or something, I grabbed those journals. Wow. That, that's how much huh. they mean to me. Yes. You also have a little stone that you, mm -hmm. um, you use to help you, uh, both when you travel and even when you're at home. And we had a little children's moment at church on Sunday where you showed that to the children. Talk about that stone a little bit. Yeah. Um, before I say the, about the stone directly, one of the things I have learned about gratitude is that these kinds of practices, journal keeping, um, counting your blessings before you go to bed, mm -hmm. um, different kinds of prayers of gratitude. Mm -hmm. There's lots of different kinds of habits you can develop yes. around the practice of gratitude. Mm -hmm. And different ones have worked for me at different times. Mm -hmm. So the journal worked really mm -hmm. well mm -hmm. 25 years ago. Other things have worked in the intermediate mm -hmm. time. Um, my husband and I, one Lent, read all poetry over every dinner um, we would pick a poem about gratitude. Beautiful. And so for the whole Lenten season, that was our journey together. Wow, nice. Yeah, it was. Yeah, really. it, was it was quite beautiful. Yeah. And so I've done things like that. You, you, so you ask about the stone. Um, this started after the book was published. Okay. Um, and I was trying to think, 
what would be portable and uh, like a, something that would remind me always to have a gratitude practice no matter where I was. So I bought a, a stone, it's a little river stone. It's very soft and smooth, it fits in the palm of my hand. And on the stone is inscribed the word gratitude. And what that stone has become for me, it's a physical token mm -hmm. to remember to say thanks. Mm -hmm. And so every single night um, I put it on my bedside table and gratitude is the last word I see before I go to bed. And it's the first word I see when I wake up. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, so uh, when, when you begin to conceive of the world like this, you, you, you shift from understanding the world as a place of scarcity to one of abundance, don't you? Mm -hmm. You begin to, to, to realize, uh, to use Marilyn Robinson's lovely phrase, the givenness of things, mm -hmm. right? That, that things are, there's so much that is a gift to us before we can even receive it. And so, uh, as you like to say, receiving is the first act uh, for us because something has been given to us. Uh, but this is not only personal, is it? You know, this is, you move in this book from the first section of the book, the first half, which really talks about me, to the second half, which is we. Mm -hmm. That is, there's a, there's a social dimension to this, and, and we should even say a political dimension, a public dimension of this. So uh, how did that insight change you uh, as you wrote this? Because most books on gratitude are going to stop with the me. Uh, they're going to start, they, they'll, they, they may involve the practices mm -hmm. of gratitude and all that, but it's, it's all about me, me, me. Uh, this, is, this is a different take on this. How'd you get there? Um, the, the, the shift, in my understanding, I, I think it had been going on for me for a little bit of time. The book that I wrote before this one was called Grounded. Mm -hmm. And the question in that book was, where do we find God in our lives now? And in Grounded, I wrote about dis discovering and encountering God, the sacred, in nature mm -hmm. and through neighbor. Mm -hmm. And so really, in a, in a very real sense, uh, Grounded was a book about abundance, and it was a, yes. a, a book about gifts. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't thinking about it in that language. Mm -hmm. I was writing a sort of a almost memoir type book about a important theological question, where right. is God? Right. So, so that was already in my experience, but then when, I, when the gratitude frame came into play, you know, if you see the word gratitude every night and every morning, mm -hmm. um, and I'm moving away from entitlement. Mm -hmm. Entitlement is based on the idea of scarcity. Yes. That there's only few resources, few opportunities, few things that are going to come your way, and you have to get what you can while you can. Right. And because you're well-educated or because you have a particular kind of life experience, whatever it is, you deserve those things. Right. And so entitlement and scarcity are of a piece. And then you start moving towards gratitude, away from entitlement, and it opens up the possibility that scarcity is not the main story of the universe. Well, it's certainly not the story of the Bible, is it? No, it isn't. I, I mean, our biblical religion is in effect 
a kind of protest to that whole view of life, isn't it? Yeah, and that's when the real transformative sort of intellectual, spiritual, theological yeah. moment happened for me. Right. It's not exactly an evangelical aha moment, because right. I have certainly been pushing that direction sure, theologically sure. for a long yeah. time. But as soon as I realized that, all of a sudden, my my whole, whole imagination, my whole theological imagination, went back to the book of Genesis, uh -huh. Uh -huh. which is a narrative of abundance. Right. And uh, I frequently said, when people say, what book would you take with you if you were stuck on a desert island? Yeah. And you know, everybody says the Bible, and so that's like, that's right. too trite. But I always tell people, I would take the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. Wow, okay, good. And yeah. I think that everything you need to know about God, uh, life, um, and mm -hmm. purpose is all in those first three chapters. And so that's where I went, well, and those are about abundance. And it was like, oh my. And, and even if you move into Exodus, you, you have the manna in the wilderness, right? Mm -hmm. So here you have the children of Israel who are struggling, saying, you know, we, at least we, we had a mess of pottage back in, 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 in Egypt. Uh, what are we gonna eat out here? And every day they receive mysteriously and graciously the, the manna for the day and right. quail and the like, uh, which is, I think, much more than just um, give us this day our daily bread. It's also a signal to how we're supposed to look at the world God made. Right. Yeah. And the question that emerges from that trip through the wilderness for the mm -hmm. children of Israel is can God really take care of us? Yeah. And there's this one moment in the Hebrew scriptures where they literally look at God and shout out, uh, can you set a table in the wilderness? Yes, right. And, right. and that, that moment to me encapsulates, I think one of the main narrative threads of the Hebrew scriptures, and that right. is this, this doubt Mm -hmm. about God's abundance, God's yes. provision. Yes. And so there's this fight um, in the soul of Israel between the uh, deep commitment, belief, conviction that the universe is full of God's abundance and their own fear mm -hmm. of scarcity mm -hmm. yes. and entitlement. And so that plays itself out throughout the whole of the, the Hebrew scriptures. And that question, can you set a table in the wilderness? Um, the answer comes over and over again in in those scriptures yes god says yes over and over again and so when as a christian you segue into the new testament that's still a question yes it's still a question on, the, on israel's mind and so mm -hmm. jesus as pro prophet and rabbi uh, in israel first and foremost as a teacher among israel um, He's constantly dealing with that question. Yes. As so many of the parables, the prayer, the Lord's right. Prayer, right. and they all are pointing in the same way. Mm -hmm. God is setting a table. Yes. And in the case of the New Testament, what's so stunningly beautiful about that is the table expands so widely. Right. Is that Jesus says, not only is this a table for Israel in the wilderness, but this is a table, and, and that's in the, in the Hebrew Scriptures, Eventually, that whole table moves towards the world, but Jesus really pushes it there very fast. Right, and the whole of the book of 
Luke and then right. Acts, the follow-up, is breaking one barrier after another, crossing mm -hmm. one boundary after another, mm -hmm. inviting more and more people to the table. Correct. Uh, and and you know it it's it, it's a uh, it's a destabilizing place for religion that is organized around stability uh, because now it keeps pushing you to say, wait a minute, your neighbor too. Right. Wait a minute, your neighbor too. And, uh, and I think this is where we're, we're headed and we have another episode. We're gonna talk about the politics of gratitude yeah. a little more in our next conversation. But I think this is where we're headed is to mm -hmm. say, uh, if, if, if we believe that God can take care of us and can set a table in the wilderness for us. The question of politics then really becomes, are we gonna take care of each other? Um, mm -hmm. Based upon that reality that God's intent is to take care of us, are we gonna get in the way of that with our neighbor? Uh, where we're gonna take more for ourselves and, and, and deprive others, or are we going to uh, keep growing that table? Yeah, and it's a huge question because so many of our institutions, both religious and secular, are mm -hmm. based around the ideas of scarcity. And scarcity right. is a mechanism of control. Yes. And abundance, as you said, it's destabilizing. Yes. It's destabilizing because it's really, you can't control it. Right, right, right. <laughs> and that's actually the joy of it. It is there right. for everyone. Right. And all of a sudden institutions go, how can that possibly be? Right, right. Because we need to be able to measure our market share uh, as a way of right. determining whether we're successful or not. Instead of thinking about participating in the mission of God in the world and uh, celebrating the fact that we uh, all get to share in it together. So, Diana, this is so interesting and uh, and provocative. We have lots more to talk about in another episode. Thank you for joining me on Good God. You're welcome. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Good God. Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2019 by Faith Commons. Compassionate DFW is striving to make Dallas-Fort Worth more intentionally compassionate, where everyone is committed to live by the principles of compassion and the golden rule. It works through diverse initiatives, arts, business, education, environmental, healthcare, religious, spiritual, interfaith, and more. Visit CompassionateDFW.org to get involved.